Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Well, good morning. Um, As Kevin said, I'm Mike Mugford. Uh, I'm the regional pastor for the Church of God in Northern California, Northern Nevada, Hawaii, and Guam. That's a bit of a distance, isn't it, to uh, be responsible for? Uh, and I, I uh, took on the responsibility in January of 19, or not 19, January of 2021. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. Um, but a little bit more about me. I grew up in Sacramento. Uh, I grew up in South Sacramento. Uh, anyone know where, fr- that's my neighborhood. Uh, Sacramento High School, graduated in 1971, went off to Warner Pacific College in Portland, Oregon, became a youth pastor in uh, a Church of God congregation in Eugene in 1977, also married my wife, Sherry. In 1981, I moved to Grass Valley, California, and pastored a church there for about eight years, And in 1989, moved back to Eugene, Oregon, to Friendly Street Church, where I pastored for 32 years. Um, Always thought I would just coronary in the pulpit someday there, and and that would be it. But God had other ideas and brought us back to to Sacramento, and we live in Carmichael, uh, just behind Del Campo High School, and we love it. We love our little cul-de-sac that we live in. And now you know everything there is to know about me except this. I have two boys, both adopted. Uh, Drew, my older, is uh, a nurse in Portland, Oregon, and is going to get married in June to a nurse, Karen. My younger son, Jordan, uh, lives with us, and he is married to a Filipino girl uh, who he finally got to meet. They got married on Zoom. Times change, don't they? Uh, But they got married, and this last January, they met in Thailand and spent two weeks together. Uh, And so I have a a granddaughter named Alex, and uh, that's pretty much it. I'll go sit down now. No. Hey, you maybe have heard about these three sisters who were aged 92, 94, and 96. And one night, the 96-year-old drew a bath for herself. She put one foot in and then paused. Was I getting in or out of the tub? She yelled. And the 94-year-old sister hollered back, I don't know, I'll come up and see. She started up the stairs, but stopped about three stairs up and shouted, Was I going up or coming down? The 92-year-old was sitting at the kitchen table having tea, listening to her sisters with a smirk on her face, and shook her head and said, I sure hope I never get to be that way. She knocked on wood for good measure, and she yelled, I'll be up and help you both as soon as I see who's at the door. (laughs) Some of you were way ahead of me on that, weren't you? You knew where that was going. Getting old is tough, especially on our memories, isn't it? We, uh, 
we remember what we <laughs> we remember what we should forget and we forget that which we should remember just a couple of days ago i uh, had gone out to the car forgotten something went back in the house unlocked the door went back in the house got what i needed and began to look all around the house where did i put the house key and I've probably spent five minutes. I said, Sherry, where, where's the house key? She goes, I don't know. I went out, you know, it was in the door where I had unlocked it to get... We all have that problem, don't we? You know that the Bible says that we are to remember 166 times. It uses the word Remember. One of the essential tasks of anyone who stands in a pulpit is not to just come up with unique and new and creative ideas or theories, but to call those he or she is given to shepherd to remember. To remember. So that's what I'm going to try to do this morning. Greg told me that you've been going through the Gospel of John. Last week you were in chapter 20, I believe, in the empty tomb, verses 1 through uh, 10. And Greg said, you have now chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. And I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to John 20, 11 and 18. Through 18, and I feel like Greg gave me an incredible gift. You know how sometimes, you know, some you're you're tasked to communicate something, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, how in the world will I ever?" This text. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Greg said that if if um, you needed a Bible to just, why don't you just raise your hand real quick if you need a Bible, didn't bring it, because you're gonna we're gonna walk verse by verse through this passage. Anybody else need one? Okay. The subject matter in this passage is Mary of Magdala and her events that take place. And before we get into the passage, there's two or three things I want to help you know about Mary. You probably know a lot about her. How many of you are watching or have watched The Chosen? Not very many of you. Let me recommend uh, watching The Chosen. It's dramatic. Um, it takes uh, artistic license. And one of those licenses that it takes is that Mary Magdalene is called Lilith in the, in the story. And there's a scene where she's in what would be a, a tavern, a bar, and the bartender is talking to her and calls her Lilith, and Jesus encounters her. And um, we don't know that that was her name. But Lilith does apply to the nature and character that she had degenerated to. I looked up what Lilith means. And uh, the name Mil- Lilith means belonging to the night. A female goddess known as the night demon. A night creature. A demon monster. 
Those are the definitions. So if you're, if you're thinking about what would we name our child, <laughs> Lilith it might be dropped off your list, right? <laughs> That's not a great name. In Luke 8, we're told that there was a woman, and she's identified as Mary of Magdala, who has seven, seven demons cast out of her. We're also told that she is one of those who is the most devoted of followers of Jesus. We believe that she is the woman who breaks the, the jar of nard and anoints Jesus' head. Now, a side note. Nard, the perfume. You know, not everyone wore cologne or perfume in their culture. Did you know that? Um, those that wore cologne, or in this case perfume, nard, announced their occupation. When you smelled that on a woman, it meant she was open for business. It was her identity. And what she does, this is so beautiful, what she does is she breaks this jar that had been her imprisonment and anoints Jesus and says, I am no longer imprisoned by that occupation. I am no longer identified as that. In Luke 7, it's written, whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. Mary would be the poster child for that sentiment. She had been loved deeply and greatly. There's one other note about Mary before we get into the passage. Jude 3 Project recently wrote an article about this. It says all four of the Gospels share that when Jesus rose, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and other women, and they told the, the apostles the good news. Though their testimony would have normally been ignored, the apostles didn't bother to remove it from their accounts because... They were the first to discover Christ indeed was risen. Lee Strobel writes in his book, The Case for Christ, women were on a very low rung in the social ladder in the first century Palestine. There was an old rabbinic adage that says, let the words of the law be burned rather than delivered by a woman. Renowned scholar and expert of the resurrection, Gary Habermas asserts that in that day, the testimony of a woman would have been equal to believing the testimony of a criminal. Even still, despite the views of women at that time, the gospel writers left their testimony in the scriptures. By doing so, the early church showed that they had nothing to hide regarding the testimony, despite how it sounded to others. It shows us today that the resurrection stands on its own two feet and that the God of heaven has free course to choose who will champion his message of victory and salvation. You see, if you were going to make up the story of the resurrection, you certainly wouldn't have used women, would you? 
to have been the first eyewitnesses. That's pretty powerful for me anyway. Father God, as, now as we open your word, may people be blessed by you and not impressed by me. May your word have power and effect on us. We've heard this passage preached and we've read it. We've studied it. But Holy Spirit, now will you apply it to the need that we have today? We ask in your name. Amen. Well, let's get into the passage. Verse 11 says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. Mary's left alone. Verses 10 tells us that Mary went back as she was told to do and told the other disciples that the tomb was empty. And Peter and John take off running. It's a foot race now between Peter, John, and Mary. And Peter and John outdistance Mary. They get to the empty tomb. They get there so much sooner than Mary that they, in fact, are no longer there when Mary gets there. It's just her now in front of the tomb. It's just her there with her sorrow, her brokenness, and her tears. She's standing outside of that tomb, crying, it says. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in, and then verse 12 tells us, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Stop there with me for a minute. <laughs> she looks in and she sees two angels at the head and the feet of the empty burial cloths. <laughs> and the angels ask her, why are you crying? When's the last time you had a conversation with an angel? <laughs> Besides your wife. <laughs> I just scored points. I hope she's watching. Um, do you hear what I'm saying, though? We just kind of skip over that whole little... Th we read this and go, stop for a second. Mary's having a conversation with angels. They're glowing in white, blinding her. She's having a conversation with heavenly hosts. And they ask her, why? Why are you crying? Hmm. She had lots of reasons to be crying. Her beloved, whom she counted on, who had dramatically changed her life, is gone. You know what happens next, don't you? If you grew up in Sunday school, you know the next verse. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels ask. And she responds, 
Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Confusion has overcome her life. You ever get confused in the pursuit of the things that you believed in? The things that you had staked your life on? A friend? A spouse? A pastor? Who's gone? I've wept over people like that. I've felt the hollowness the pain of losing someone like that. I know you have too. Verse 14 says that after she said that to those angels, she turns to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She turns to leave and sees someone there. It's Jesus. But she doesn't recognize him. Thank goodness that never happens to us. Has Jesus been right on your doorstep? Right in the midst of the situation that you're in and you don't recognize it? Yeah. Your sorrow, your pain, your disappointment, your disillusionment, your doubt overcomes you. And while Jesus is right there, you don't see him. We've all been there. In fact, she thinks he's the gardener or the caretaker, right? And she says to him, where have you taken the body? Tell me so I can go get him. You know what? Stop for just a minute. The physicality of this statement, Mary hasn't thought through. Has she? Tell me where he is, and I'll carry him off. I doubt it. I doubt it. But again, she's so overcome with the circumstances and the situations that she doesn't even really think about what she's saying. Hang on, this is the key to the story, right? Verse 16, Mary, Jesus said. He speaks her name. And there is a moment of clarity, of recognition. Don't miss it. He speaks her name. All he says is, Mary. And what's her response? Rabbi, teacher, beloved. Hmm. He speaks her name. We'll make more of that in a moment. But don't pass that over. That's all it took for Mary to be transformed once again, to be reminded of who he is, 
of his promises, of all those moments. I believe it was spoken in such tenderness that everything, all that anxiety, all that sorrow fell off like scales from her. And she declares, my teacher, my rabbi. Verse 17, theologians really struggle with, and I'm not going to try to unpack it too much, but let me put it this way. Look at the verse again. It says, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended, uh, ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Don't cling to me. Don't hold on too tightly to me. When you're on a mountaintop experience, a mountaintop moment, don't you want to stay there? Don't you want to stay there? It's too glorious. It's too wonderful. I don't want to go back to the normal. I don't want to go back. And so he says, don't cling to this moment to me yet. This is a great moment, but that's all it is right now. It's just a moment. And this moment needs to be transformed into a mission. Right? Isn't that what happens? What does he say? He says, go back and tell my brothers that there is, I'm going back to my God and your God. My father and your father. Go and tell the others. Jesus says, you can't cling to this moment. You, you want to hold on to it, and it's wonderful. It's precious. Anyone here who's been a parent, when you first get to hold that child for the very first time, is it too amazing or what? And you want to just... Remember that moment, and you need to remember that moment when the 2 a.m. diaper changes come. And it's been a blowout. Or you can't get them to go to sleep. And you've walked them for who knows how long. Right? Hang on to that moment, but you have a mission. You need to raise that child. Jesus says, here's my mission for you, Mary. You are called to go now back to the brothers and tell them that I need to go back to my father and their father, my God and their God. And verse 18 tells us, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. Then he gave them, or then she gave them his message. Mary's an amazing woman. She went from sorrow, brokenheartedness, to fulfilling the mission that her Savior gives her. Because she went and found them and said, 
I've seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And he has declared that we have a father and a God who cares for us. Are you with me so far? Good, I've only got about another hour to get... Greg said you get out at 11, is that... No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I've got two life applications from this passage I want to give you. If you're you're making any notes, these are the notes I want you to write down. Number one, first question. I'm discovering that it's one thing to ask the question. It's more important with, what am I going to do with it? So the first question is this. Have you had that moment of recognition? You see, that changed everything for Mary, didn't it? She went from brokenhearted, sorrow, tears so deep and so, you know, pouring out of her that she can't recognize what's going on, to that moment when Jesus says, Mary. And she has that moment of recognition. He calls her by name. Not by her reputation. Doesn't call her Lilith. Never does. Calls her Mary, who she really is. He calls us by name. On May 22nd, 1972, at a Randy Stonehill, Larry Norman concert. I date myself, don't I? Hey, I'm old. I'm old. But he called my name. And I've never been the same. Or to put it in the terms of the songwriter, I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me, no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. Amen? He knows our name. Have you had that moment of recognition? And what have you done with it? Second, have you accepted your mission? See, Mary moves from recognition of who she is to the mission statement that Jesus gives her. What is it? Go and tell. Go and tell. Our mission is to tell others that each one of us is called by name that we are loved, that we are accepted, and that we are forgiven by the creator of the universe.
Somebody say amen. (laughs) Isn't that good news? That is good news. It's not some abstract religious or impersonal thing. Mary, he said, and it changed everything. I said that the task of a communicator is to cause us to remember. Remember your moment of recognition when Jesus called you, when he spoke your name. And then fulfill your mission. Years and years ago, I heard a preacher say that he believed that the church had taken the good news and made it bad. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. I think we've, we've done a pretty good job of becoming really judgmental. Very, very tight in our huddles. And we really struggle with accepting people who are very, very different from us. Didn't hear any amens on that. But our mission, our call, is to go to the marginalized, marginalized, the lost, the lame, the weak, Not long after I became a believer, Jesus put a person in my life who I really didn't like. He irritated me, aggravated me, embarrassed me. Antagonized me. And Jesus said, "Are you on a mission?" Well, yeah, but no. Give me some other mission. Put somebody else in my life, right? (laughs) Remember, one of the odd things, I'm going to close with this, one of the odd things about moving back, so I, I go to the church that I grew up in, and there is a woman... Her name's Wilma, who was my youth leader when I was in junior high and high school. More than that, she was also a matchmaker. She paired my mom and dad together. And she was quick to remind me of that at times. Remember, you might not be here had it not been for me. And so you better toe the line. And we've I'm, I'm getting to spend a lot more time with Wilma these days. She's 90 years old now. And uh, she reminds me often of how hard I was in youth group. And I was. I was a troublemaker. I know this is hard to believe, but I was kind of a loudmouth. 
I was uh, always jittery. They didn't call it ADHD back then, but that's what I had. I mean, I, to this day, I'm, I'm a pretty hyper person. But she loved me. That was her mission, was to love the kids in that youth group. And that was my mission with Glenn. See, don't just think about the people who are easy for you. God's got an amazing sense of humor, doesn't he? He's going to drop people in your life who are very different from you, who may aggravate you, may frustrate you. But remember who you were and are. Remember who God is. Remember his mission for you. Okay, so you had two assignments, two life applications. Live in the recognition and be on a mission. Pray with me. Father God, this morning, thank you. Thank you that you call us by name. You know us. You know every thought. You know every place where we're tempted to compromise. You know every situation where we're where the need is right in front of us. The person is right in front of us, but we're tempted to turn away. It's inconvenient. It's not doesn't fit into our schedule and our timing. You've called us by name and you've commissioned us to reach out to the lost and the broken, the inconvenient and the difficult. Thank you that Mary was faithful to her promise and her mission. May we be like Mary. We pray in your name. Amen. So I understand one of, the, one of the things that you guys really look forward to is the announcements video. I'm not sure if that's because of the announcements or because that means things are winding down, but whichever way, here are the announcements for this week. Well, good morning, ARCF family. I'm here to let you know about all the things that are going to be happening next week on May 1st. You bet. All the items that I'm going to mention are happening on one day. And your first two are friendly reminders. The first is that child dedications are going to be going on during next week's service. Child dedications are a great public declaration and are in line with Proverbs 22.6 where it says to direct your children on the right path and when they're older, they will not leave it. So again, if you would like to participate next week in the child dedications, please make sure that you see Pastor Greg. And your second reminder is that next week is the beginning of our next round of disciple groups. We definitely would love to see everyone connected in a disciple group. So if you have not signed up for one and would like to, then please make sure you head to the back table in the worship center and sign up for one today on your way out. And for your third announcement, here's your worship director, Melissa. Hi, these are the Smiths. The Smiths are not just our friends, but they have also been a major part of this church and the worship team. Like, major part. And they are getting ready to abandon, move to Texas in the next few weeks. 
We really are excited for them in this next chapter, and we want to say goodbye to them in the best possible way, with food. So we'd like to invite you to join us next Sunday at 10.45 a.m. over in the Connection Center, where the worship team is going to be putting on a gathering where we will pray for the Smiths, spend some time with them, and eat some food. We'll even have some decorations. Whoops, sorry, not that one. Yeah, this one. So again, we're really happy. Um, we're really happy. Okay, I can pull it together. We are really happy. <laughs> well, it appears that Melissa needs a minute. But I know that she wants to make sure that all of you can come next week at 10.45 a.m. to surround the Smiths with love as they prepare to move to Texas. They're such nice people. <laughs> so we hope that you can join us. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back, for more events and more information. I mean, why? Do I smell bad? <laughs>